It is Locked On Jazz for the 21st of May. More return to play plans, including a league in Salt Lake City. The What If redrafts will continue to run down that and finally get to what life is like in baseball and how it relates to what the NBA may have to do. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Give you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan. You can follow on Spotify. You can subscribe on iTunes, and we'd appreciate it if you do. Five-star reviews, or actually honest reviews, are always welcome. Uh, This is all part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, thanks so much. Tomorrow I will not have a show, and then Monday's Memorial Day. So I'll be back with you Tuesday unless something breaks. Uh, today I'll be driving uh, to Southern California for the day. We, my daughter's going to play in a golf tournament out there. They're, they've got some things going on. We've just kind of decided that that's how we're going to deal with things is drive across the country and let her play in a bunch of events with a bunch of kids and try to feel like she's uh, got some things going on. So uh, that's, that's the approach here. So I will not be with you uh, tomorrow. And uh, back with you on Tuesday as we inch closer and closer toward playing. Uh, Let me dig into that. But first, our Daily Devar. Daily Devar, if you've not heard, is a friend of mine, is a professor at the U of U. And over the years, he's just always been totally positive about everything going on with the Jazz, even in some of our most difficult days. And so I honored him with a segment called the Daily Devar, which was every day I saw Devar, he was uplifting. And so... What are the things that made you a jazz fan or make you happy to be a sports fan? Uh, and so this comes in today from Kevin from Illinois. He's a lifelong Illinoisan and a lifelong jazz fan. Uh, he first became interested in the jazz after seeing a network interview with Frank Layton. He'd never seen a coach like him with sense of humor and pushing his team to win. I was fascinated by Mark Eaton's story, soon to become my favorite player. People would make fun of me for that. But I liked the way he played and he carried himself as a person. Of course, Stockton Malone cemented my fandom not long after that. And what made it better was that John St- Jerry Sloan replaced Frank Layden. I grew up on a farm in Illinois, so that was the perfect fit for me. It was like my dad became coach of the Jazz. It wasn't easy going through the finals in the suburbs of Chicago after I got out of college, but I stuck with the Jazz. What stood out to me back then and hit me again watching the last chance is a classy way the Jazz seemed to always handle themselves. They went out and played their best every night, didn't make excuses. To me, Jordan came off looking like a miserable person despite the fact he's a winner. It's a worthy discussion. Maybe it has to be has to do with his failures in basketball ever since Last Dance. It's amazing how the Wizards were never mentioned at the end of the documentary or stock or Jordan's Hall of Fame speech. History is truly written by the winners, I guess. To me, someone like Stockton has led a much more fulfilling life the way he moved on, invested so much time in his children. Rings are overrated, says Kevin. I also had the pleasure of attending one jazz home game. My wife and I planned our honeymoon, and she gracefully let me include a jazz game to be a part of it. The game ended perfectly for me. Stockton hit Malone for a game winner against the Rockets with Scottie Pippen on April 1st, 1999. The the crowd was... Uh, everything I hoped it would be. I attended games in Milwaukee and Chicago, and there's nothing like the energy in Salt Lake. To top it off, my wife and I went to take a picture near the court after the game, and an usher allowed us to get our picture on the court. Thanks to Kevin from Illinois. That's a fun story. I love those. 
please send them to me at dlock09 at gmail.com. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, rebuilding how you think energy bars should taste. Go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, get $10 off your first box. All right, a few news notes, and let's dig into what baseball's doing and how it like might translate to the NBA and just try to consider this because all these leagues are building off each other. A uh, big one is that it really, the NBA and NHL seem to be mirroring each other. Uh, the NHL uh, has moved into phase two here shortly, which is allowing players to come back to the practice facility in small groups. So that's the next step. The next step is instead of individual workouts, small groups come to work out together. My guess on this, I'm just guessing, is that you'll assign groups a time. So if you're hockey, you have like four, you, I don't know how you do it. You have your, your defensemen all work out together and that group of four or five guys works out together for a few weeks or two weeks to get ready, but without their uh, frontline players or without their, you know, um, offensive players. So, you know, for the NBA, I think you'd build a group. I don't know if you do your starters or, and then you have another, I don't know how big the groups are, but I'm guessing for a few weeks, you just build these groups and only these groups are, uh, in the building together. Phase three, I think, will end up being the fact that you actually go practice in your practice facilities. And then phase four will be entering into whatever bubble uh, these leagues are going to go to. Uh, the National Women's Soccer League will start their bubble June 27th in Salt Lake City. Uh, Premier League starts their one-site tournament July 25th. Major League Soccer is looking at Orlando. NHL is looking at Columbus and Las Vegas. And then we have the NBA looking at Las Vegas and um, Orlando. I don't know whether both or how they do it. So my guess is our next stage here is from what the NHL reported is small groups working out together, not just individual workouts. So that'll be the next kind of step in, in the process. All right, let's go through what Major League Baseball is doing here. It's really, it's, it's pretty incredible. And I, you know, it ha this is what their bubble is. So some of it's not that crazy, but some of it gets interesting. So no indoor meetings. They're doing no indoor meetings. So if the pitching staff wants to have a meeting, they go outside and do it. If the manager wants to meet with the whole team, it has to be socially distanced outside. Uh, that's a pretty, like from an NBA standpoint, that one's hard to achieve particularly since we're talking about being in a bubble that's probably inside the whole time. Unless we got something in Orlando where we're going to have outdoor meeting areas for the teams that are playing at halftime. I can't really imagine it, but I can't frankly imagine a lot of the things we're about to embark on. So I don't know how the NBA monitors that. No seeds, no dip, no water jugs. All right, well, the seeds and dip are not really a problem in the NBA. We don't see a lot. Carl Malone, you know, probably would have been the closest to anyone who was, like, chewing while playing, though he was pretty healthy, but I'm talking about his, you know, his redneck, redneck Carl. Um, no high fives and no daps. So the NBA, some of that's going to be really interesting to watch because and Major League Baseball, it's all stopped, and it's you can think about it. For the NBA, the no high fives and the no daps and the no taps and the that's just part of like the game instinctually. And it's gonna be really interesting to watch and see whether players figure that out. The the old, there's two good news points to this one. One is I really actually, from an environmental standpoint, the amount of plastic bottles that we go through uh, as a franchise and as any team is overwhelming. Now, 
I get it. You don't really want to make your guy have a bottle he has to follow around all the time, and he's not going to all have their own personal swell bottle the same way we do. Uh, but maybe we are. Like, maybe we are heading to the point where, like, you're actually buying a really nice swell bottle for every player. It's being cleaned and sanitized, and then you're not, you know, and you're not coming out of water jugs. Or maybe we're just going to use more plastic. Frankly, our plastic consumption as a country is way up right now. Uh, the no... Uh, the one that we can, we might actually finally get rid of is the guy missing the free throw and then tapping hands with everyone. I'm saying that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's actually true. Um, players not, in the Major League Baseball, players not likely to enter the game are in the stands. Now, I don't know how the NBA is going to do this because I'm not sure whether they're actually going to play on courts that have stands. They might have some seats around it. But I don't, you know, I don't, maybe the Orlando places have stands. Some of the Vegas places might actually just have setups where you're um, taking a huge conference room at Mandalay Bay and turning it into three basketball courts. But it's, so it may, the idea would be, you know, the Jazz starting five is, uh, as I brain cramp, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, and Rudy Gobert. And Jordan Clarkson, Tony Bradley, Emmanuel Moutier, and George Niang are our most likely to play. And then every other player is in the stance, not around the bench. And then do we not? So now let's take a timeout for a second. The traditional coaches meeting where the six coaches go to midcourt and hold a meeting and talk about the game. Is that not taking place anymore? And are the players... So the players are socially distanced every six feet on the bench. There's not a crowd, so therefore you probably don't have to yell and scream quite as much, but a timeout sure gets interesting. Players in the crowd in for Major League Baseball, four empty seats and two rows between them. Kind of wild. We'll continue. I mean, I think it's a really, really interesting process. We'll, we'll keep, there's some other little notes here. And you start trying to put into what the NBA version of this is. The fact is, you're trying to get as few positive tests as possible. You don't want to have a big outbreak. And you're trying to prevent a spread. And these are the ways that we do it. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Thank you so much for everyone who has tried Built Bar. The response has been amazing. We thank you so much for your incredible support of our sponsor, and I thank Built Bar for making a product that people are just liking. The response has been terrific. The little trick inside of the Lockdown host is that you freeze it. But I would tell you there are other people who love just the incredible texture as it is. That soft kind of gooey, almost marshmallowy, amazing texture that is a Built Bar contrasting to that grainy, you know, thick, needing a bottle of water to drink your protein bar or to eat your protein bar approach. Uh, Built Bar with the promo code locked on, you get $10 off your first box in amazing flavors. Uh, the vanilla chocolate cream, the orange chocolate cream, raspberry chocolate cream, salted caramel chocolate, mint brownie delight, double chocolate mousse. Those are all some of the nut-free choices. I have not had any of the others because I'm allergic to nuts. They their nut facility is not, they have a nut free facility that they, which is nice level of detail. It's very much appreciated. Go, you can build your own box, 
Choose flavors you want in your 18-bar mix box, or you can get a 15-flavor 18-bar mix box if you want to try them all. Use the promo code Locked On to get your Built Bar uh, sent to you and get $10 off. And the macros are incredible. 110 calories, 4 fat grams, 5 net carbs, and only 4 grams of sugar. It's Built Bar. Today's show is also brought to you by Intercap Lending. Steve Carter is just incredible. Uh, gosh, no, I, I just so great the sponsors we have and the response we get from you guys. You're just, I really couldn't thank you enough. Um, it's really been great. So uh, another, uh, you know, what Steve Carter's really, Intercap now treats you as a Locked On Jazz listener as part of a corporate account and you get a uh, great discounts on it. They've been super in that sense. And then the other aspect is just how amazing Steve Carter is. So Steve Carter, it was my loan officer. That's how we met Intercap. He got a loan done with me after numerous people had not. And honestly, my situation wasn't anything like that. I didn't have the credit or anything. I just didn't have the time. and I never got things done. And Steve Carter made it so easy. He was hyper-responsive. He was so helpful. He drove to the practice facility with the final papers for me. And at the time, I thought, well, that's just because, you know, we're a possible sponsor. No, no. It's very clear. This is exactly who Steve Carter is. Marshall, we had a phenomenal experience with Intercap Lending. Couldn't have been more happy with their work, attentiveness, follow-up, partnership. I certainly hope I have the opportunity to work with them again. Quinton says, Intercap is the best service. Everyone I worked with from start to finish was the best service. They explained everything to me, answered my questions I had. Working with Steve Carter was awesome. And Wendy uh, helped me so much through the whole process. I was lucky to get to work with them. And a special thanks to Chad Rogers. Always a pleasure. Thanks to everyone. Now I'm able to start a new beginning. Awesome service, everyone. Thank you. That has been the reoccurring theme with everyone involving Intercap Lending. Give Steve Carter a call, 385-885-28. That's 385-885-28. Intercap Lending. Intercap Lending, NMLS, number 190465. That's 19, uh, excuse me, Intercap Lending. That's 385-885-28, intercaplending.com. All right, continue with baseball, then we'll get to redrafts. Personal rosin bag, personal pine tart. I don't know what our comparable on that is. I don't think there's any problem with all of us using the same stick on our feet in the NBA. Um, but I do think you're going to have, like, every player is going to have their own bag, probably. It's going to have a water bottle. It's going to have a towel. It's going to have whatever headbands or wristbands they use. Um, and it's all going to be kind of individualized for them, and they use their own. I, I'm guessing um, you're just going to these kind of levels of details. It's going to be a lot of work for uh, Steve Clowkey's son, Adam Clowkey, who is our equipment manager. And I don't know whether Jasper or our strength and conditioning staff has to pick up some of that as well or um, how it works. But uh, that is going to be that's certainly going to be interesting. Um, on the road. Uh, oh, they also have baseball also has. If the ball is in play and enough touches, you have to replace the ball. And then each player, every half inning, has to sanitize. So I almost wonder if we're going to play a period of the game and the minute there's a whistle stoppage, we'll switch balls and sanitize the ball. And then an interesting question is, I'm sure that Spalding didn't make their leather to be dried out like that. So that would be our equivalent. We can't just throw out balls the way baseball can. But do you play for a while? Ball goes out of bounds. New ball in. That ball gets sanitized. Now ball goes out. And then at every time out, are we, is every player getting hit with hand sanitizer? Are we doing it every free throw? And then are players 
going to have tactile issues with how dry their hands get. I mean, these players use a lot of lotion anyway already um, and have various, or, you know, uh, or you have your little rosin. The other one you might have, by the way, is NBA has those, I just thought about this, the bucket of, of gum. Well, I'll bet you maybe each player has their own a set amount of gum that they get in their little baggie. Um, I don't know. I'm making up the baggie, but it's beginning to make some sense. I actually have not talked to anybody about this. Uh, no post-game showers. No housekeeping. Cannot leave the hotel without approval. It's all interesting. At least, I hope you guys, I have you clear if you listen to the show every day, I'm pretty mesmerized by how we're going to do this. I'm so excited. I will admit that yesterday, Boyan's injury struck me. Like, we're getting closer and closer to coming back, and it's becoming more and more clear. We're heading our way back, and then all of a sudden it struck me like, oh my gosh, we're without Boyan. Like, the first time yesterday, I began to have thoughts about, like, well, how, do we, how are we going to match up? What are we going to do? How do we play? Like, all those kind of fun thoughts. Are we at an advantage or disadvantage? Like, Mike Conley held up, donated $200,000 to various groups because Mike Conley's the best. And he held a uh, media call yesterday. I was thinking about, well, Mike's going to be ahead of the game shooting. Donovan's a great shooter. You know, shooting's going to be behind, and we're a good shooting team. Oh, we don't have Boyan. Like, it was interesting. Like, yesterday was the first time that I had this kind of moment where I started thinking about the game and what the games would look like and how they would be played and what would, what what advantages or disadvantages teams would have and and what we can do. And, um, and, and so it was... It was an interesting moment, and then I did have this like stark reality, like, oh, we're without Boyan. What a bummer. All right, let's go back to our what-if redrafts. We'll go back to 2009. I remember this one well, and this is, I actually think today on my drive, uh, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, as well as uh, Bill Simmons' uh, Book of Basketball, have done a ton of redraft podcasts, and unless somebody else, and if anybody has any others, they should tell me that I'm aware of. I think I might actually just take my drive kind of going back through all NBA drafts and um, I, I've been kind of a draft expert. I actually started my career uh, writing a draft book out of college. And so that, you know, that's really how I actually started everything uh, in my career. So I, I love the draft and have always been in the draft. It'll be interesting to hear the thoughts uh, back to it. I remember the 2009 draft. This is the Blake Griffin uh, has seemed to beat James Harden, Tyreek Evans, Ricky Rubio draft. It's legendary for the Cats pick is I loved Eric Maynard. I loved Eric Maynard. Um, when the Jazz drafted Eric Maynard 20th, I, I thought it was like the best pick. Um, I, he, was, he was a stud at Virginia Commonwealth. Um, I loved him. He was about, he turned out he was a little smaller than I thought. Like his 6'3", 175 was a smaller 6'3", 175. But he had, uh, he'd averaged 22 points and six assists at VCU. Now, you know, I had didn't, again, you pick up new knowledge along the way. He did that at a 21 year old and you got to get very nervous about 21 year olds who kick the crap out of 19 year olds. And you go back and look at his 18 and 19 year old numbers. They're not very good. Um, so that should have been in retrospect. Now that I know what I know about numbers in the draft, a red flag, but it actually turned out Pretty hard to argue with the pick. The other player the Jazz were looking at the time was Tony Douglas, who ended up playing a few more years in the league, but he didn't really pan out either. Darren Collison was the pick, was the next pick, and turned out to be the probably the best pick. He's played twenty thousand minutes uh, in the NBA, uh, but other point guards that were in that draft: Roddy Bobois went twenty fifth, uh, Tony Douglas went twenty ninth. Um, there actually isn't like so. 
I loved Maynard, super disappointing. But what's so interesting about that draft is the Jazz really just ended up with the wrong pick. Sometimes this happens. You The three picks prior to Eric Maynard were Drew Holiday, Ty Lawson, and Jeff Teague. Now, there's no guarantee the Jazz take one of those players. But boy, what a bummer, right? Like, if you were, if you were actually, like, and James Johnson was the pick before that. Like, the draft really fell off. At 19, Darren Collison played 20,000 minutes. Taj Gibson played 20,000 minutes as well. Taj Gibson would have been a pretty solid pick there from the Jazz, um, you know, out of the ilk of a Paul Millsap type. Um, But I think if you go back and look at our roster, it wasn't something that you looked at our roster really needing at that point. He probably doesn't become what he is. Uh, Wayne Ellington was 28, was a nice pick that year. But again, you know, it's so funny when you look back at, busted draft picks particularly late busted draft picks you go look at the draft and you think to yourself like if you, if you kind of leave some reason in here that you're not going to go like oh we should have taken Danny Green okay well Danny Green was drafted 46 he was cut twice and then he became an NBA player so the chances are that's not becoming your player um, so Eric Maynard I was so excited for 20th pick and turned out to be not a bust but just didn't didn't pan out we ended up trading him to Oklahoma City uh, before it was done, uh, he gave us like a year and a half and then he bounced around. I mean, actually, I, I think it might be fair to say, you know, somewhat of a bust. I think we traded him with Cantor, if I remember. No, with Matt Harpering, uh, just to get out from under Matt Harpering's contract at that point in time. Um, and then didn't really turn out to be um, uh, much of anything. Uh, the next draft is the Kevin Murphy late second round, or excuse me, the next draft is Gordon Hayward, um, which we'll dig into. Uh, Gordon Hayward draft is the Paul George question. Would have we been better off drafting Paul George or Gordon Hayward? Uh, pretty hard to quibble with Hayward at nine. Paul George has become a a star player. Pre-injury, I, I don't know that there was that big a difference. Um, this draft is the exact opposite, by the way. This draft is the, oh my gosh, thank God we were nine or ten. Because And thank goodness that there was an Epe Udo mistake earlier than us. Because this draft, after Paul George at 10, becomes a disaster. Cole Aldridge, Xavier Henry, Ed Davis had a decent career. Pat Patterson had a decent career. Larry Sanders, Luke Babbitt, Kevin Sherapin. Woo! Are the next seven picks. Like, you're 11 in this draft, and your world is way different than if you're 9 or 10. Avery Bradley and Eric Bledsoe went late teens, was a good player. Trevor Booker had a great career, uh, was in the was drafted later. But that, like, players who played over 15,000 minutes of their NBA career, uh, put that in perspective, Paul George has played 20, you know, so you're playing a lot, but 15,000 minutes. Avery Bradley and Eric Bledsoe, out of the next 20 picks, are the only two players in that draft to do that. Gordon Hayward or Paul George? Like, it's a hard question. Um, You know, the Jazz really believed in Hayward for his winning. And I think we're a little worried on Paul George because of the lack of winning that they did at Fresno State. Paul George's career has become better than Gordon Hayward's because of that injury. They both had significant injuries, and Paul George came out of that injury as a superior player than Hayward's been able to come out of that career. Uh, But they're not. There's not a huge discrepancy there. Al Camino, Greg Monroe, Epe Udo, Wesley Johnson, all picks before those two, though. 
So that the Jazz, you're not going to look at them and say, oops. But if you're Minnesota at Wesley Johnson at four, Epe Udo by Golden State at six, Greg Monroe turned out to have a pretty good run in Al Farouk Amino, seven and eight, over Gordon Hayward and Paul George. That's a really interesting... You look at that, it's really hard to believe. You have to go back and try to figure out, like, what was it about Aminu or Wesley Johnson that people saw over Gordon Hayward or Paul George? I've been interacting with Matt Lund a ton recently. It's been really interesting. So Matt Lund is uh, the guy who owns Crown. He and his dad opened up Crown Ogden uh, and have turned what, you know, so Crown Trophy is the biggest trophy dealer in all of America. But they have taken Crown Ogden with the basis of that uh, Crown Trophy and now turned it into just a much bigger company and really great stuff. So they take the largest award award franchise in America and then taken Matt's passion, which is just awesome, and begun to build special. I told you about the amazing lasers they have. They can engrave everything from machine parts if you need that, medical devices, aerospace items, traceable markings, guns, pocket knives, and then also if you want to do any engraving and gifts. So they can do all of those kind of things for you. The other one that Matt does that's just really cool and sent me uh, recently a lot of uh, this these is these award trophies for your staff. Now, some of this might be more important today than ever before with... You know, how do you maintain a culture of your company? How do you um, keep things together? All those kind of things. They really, they build these beautiful, they take your logo and make it pop. You know, the best way I can describe it to you is take a minute and send Matt your logo and let Matt kind of make your logo pop with these beautiful awards for the, uh, for your workers, whether it's a yearly award or whether it's uh, a different type of, um, you know, maybe it's an achievement award. Whatever. This is up to you, right, frankly. Um, I'm not trying to tell you how to run your company. But what Matt can do, he sent me all of them. They're so beautiful. Uh, you know, Starbucks Employee of the Month, these beautiful pieces of glass with the logo on it just popping. Um, he, he did one for them. He did a Market Star BD Achievers Club in 2018 that he sent me. It's beautiful. It can be anything from uh, things they do for Weber State, um, all sorts of beautiful, beautiful awards and uh, uh, trophies. But they, the biggest thing is if you give Matt the logo, let him make it pop. Let him make it do something uh, fabulous. They have so many different things they can do uh, over at Crown. They're going to do some T-shirts for us and use their screen printing, uh, printing for us and banner side things for the Lockdown Podcast Network, and they can do the same for you. Give Matt a call, 801-621-2055. That's 801-621-2055. 801-621-2055. Really, uh impressive work what they do and here's uh one last piece for you lockdown listeners will have their first year setup fees waived. that's 150 dollars value so if you give matt a call he'll waive the first year setup fees for you and let you see what he can do and make your logo pop so give matt a call 801-621-2055 today's show is also brought to you by blinkist i'm on a long drive today i'm gonna bury a bunch of 15 minute versions of books how well, Sapiens, I'm hearing I should listen to the whole thing because it's amazing. But on some of the other ones that I want to just kind of get through, Blinkist takes the best key takeaways. You need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to 15 minutes so you can read or listen to them. 
They tell you that successful people like to read a lot of books. Who possibly has the time? Well, Blinkist now has 12 million people using Blinkist right now with its massive growing library of self-help business, health to history books. Blinkist is the latest titles to the bestsellers list as well as classic nonfiction that you like. Blinkist, I've already used it for a few. Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. Jared Diamond's Upheaval. The Sports Gene by David Epstein is fabulous. Bob Rattelis, some kind of sports mental... Uh, strength books kind of things like that so go to blinkist.com slash nba to try it free for seven days and save 25 percent off your subscription that's blinkist b-l-i-n-k-i-s-t.com slash nba for a seven day free trial you also get 25 percent off when you sign up at blinkist all right let's keep going with our drafts 2011 after we've drafted hayward is ennis Cantor. And Alec Burks. This one's really interesting to look back at. So Kyrie's one. Derek Williams is a bust two. Ennis Cantor is three. Tristan Thompson is four. And Jonas Valanciunas is five. With Jan Vesely as a bust six. Bismack Biombo basically a bust seven, though he's played a lot of minutes. Brandon Knight, eight. Kemba Walker, nine. Jimmerford at 10. Now, the easy one is, oh my gosh, we drafted Ennis Cantor, over Clay Thompson and the Morris Twins and Kawhi Leonard and Nikola Vukovic and Tobias Harris, and this is terrible. And there's some legitimacy to that. There's also, excuse me, there's also this element that I kind of talk about. Like, it's not that accurate to go 9, 10, 11 picks down and go find it. This draft is one of the strangest drafts of all time. Because if you redraft, and I'm sure someone's done it, the 2011 NBA draft, like Kawhi's one, and he was drafted 15. Klay Thompson's two, and he was drafted 11. Jimmy Butler is probably three, and he was drafted 30th. Kyrie's probably four. He was drafted one. Kemba's probably drafted five, and he was drafted nine. And then you're into Jonas Valanciunas, Tobias Harris, the Morris Twins. Heck, little Isaiah Thomas was 60th. Like, that's a really weird draft. I mean, I think we didn't take Jonas Valanciunas because he was out of the league for another year and wasn't going to help us right away, and Ennis was available. Tristan Thompson ended up being kind of a better, probably, defensive player, but I'm not sure that Tristan Thompson and Ennis Cantor's careers are that dramatically different that you can can quibble a good deal. I, I do, I like Valanciunas. I'm a fan of Valanciunas. He's expanded his game. He's been more professional. Like, I think that was a miss, right? Now, Valanciunas was coming a year later. He's only played, he's played a year less in the league, so he's actually played the same amount of minutes. It's easy to say we should have taken Kemba 9 um, or Clay 11 for Ennis 3. I think that's a stretch. The Alec Burks pick is the one that you have to look at and be like, okay, we missed. And Alec was pretty good in his career, but both more, though the Morris twins were unique. You were not convinced if you separated the Morris twins that they'd be able to play, and that turned out to be more true than not. Kawhi was 15. Vukovic was 16. Tobias Harris was 19. Um, you know, and eight the 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 scouts 
who loved A.B., loved him for his one-on-one skills, his ability to score, and the scouts who didn't like him was his inability to play without the ball and his inability to be aware of teammates. And the injuries definitely derailed his career a little bit. Like, he's played half as many minutes as Clay Thompson. He's played, you know, 30% fewer minutes than, than all the other guys I mentioned um, because of his injuries. But, and Kawhi's the one you can certainly look at, but nobody thought Kawhi was going to be Kawhi. And Clay went the pick before. Be really interesting if the Jazz had busted Clay Thompson on the third pick of that draft. That would have been pretty early. I mean, the lucky thing is we didn't draft Jimmer. And that's what everybody was looking at at that point as the possibility. That one, you had two swings at it with three and 12 and just didn't hit. I'm not sure you really could have hit with three. Like, I don't know. I mean, Clay Thompson's the pick you hit with three with. You can go, it's fine. Kawhi's 15th and no one knew. And then with Alec, there's probably a bigger hit that could have been made. But the Morris Twins had some aspects that made you nervous. Vukovic could have been interesting. Though I think we had, if I go back to 2011, I think we had Memo at the time. Or we maybe we'd started the rebuild, so maybe we didn't. And then Tobias Harris was a player who, you know, I think you like. And then Jimmy Butler's hanging at 30. Boyan Bogdanovich is actually 31 of that draft. What a crazy... That 2011 draft is just one of the craziest of all time. Let's do 2012. 2012, we're out. Like, if I remember correctly, I got to pull it up. Done my pre-research. 2012, we have Kevin Murphy. There's nothing to be said. 2013 (coughs) is another... is a weird draft. It's the Anthony Bennett first pick. We have the 14th pick and we have the 21st pick coming in. Word is we wanted Kelly Olenek with the 14th pick and then Boston trades ahead of us. So we trade ahead to go get to nine and take Trey Burke, which didn't really work out. CJ McCollum, goes 10, has worked out, but as a two-guard, everyone viewed him as a one at the time. Michael Carter-Williams didn't really work out. Steven Adams was well. The only question, and Giannis was 15. So the big miss here is, you know, we were sitting at 14, could have taken Giannis, didn't have the medicals, didn't have the background on him, didn't know what his health was, didn't know necessarily that he'd come. Milwaukee had some in some advantages on him that others didn't. They had the medical, they had the center that could help his family get uh, to the U.S., there were some advantages there. Um, you know, from point guards, Dennis Schroeder, there was this group of point guards that year. Trey Burke, C.J. McCollum, Michael Carter-Williams, Dennis Schroeder, Shane Larkin. There's one other. There was six of them. And I remember someone saying, like, I'm not sure any of these pan out. Oh, Archie Goodwin. Kind of Dennis Schroeder's panned out better than all of them. But C.J. McCollum's panned out because he's in the perfect situation as a two-guard undersized, playing next to a dominant point guard. It's been perfect for CJ, and he's been great. Uh, But that 14 and 21, and then the Jazz, but at the same time, the Jazz come in at 27 and hit it out of the park. Like, just one of the great draft picks of all time in Rudy Gobert with the 27th pick of the draft. And, like, there's nothing else. You can, like, combine all the minutes of every player after Rudy in that draft. They haven't played 13,000 minutes. It's, like, it's not true, but it's incredible. That pick is really one of the great to have an all-NBA defensive player of the year. 27th pick of the draft is one of the all-time greatest picks of all time. Could you imagine if you'd walked out of that draft, held your spots, taking Giannis at 14 and Rudy at 21? Ha-ha, <laughs> they 
there's your fantasy. Think about that for your what if. Well, there it is. There's your what if. The Jazz hold at 14 and take Giannis and hold at 21 and take Rudy Gobert. Ha! That's the fantasy world. That would have been like one of the greatest. That would have been the single greatest all-time draft in the history of sports. Not the NBA, sports. So it's definitely fantasy land. Let's definitely go with it. Uh, but 27 is one of the greatest picks of all time. Trey didn't pl- pan out at nine. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe the answer, actually, if we'd known how great Rudy was, maybe Kelly Olenek, though he can't really guard Forrest great, could have been the perfect compliment. You just draft two bigs at that point. And I think we had Favors and Cantor at the time, so drafting two bigs would have been an insanity. All right, let's go back to it. Just pure fantasy. 14th, the Jazz draft Rudy Gobert. 21st, the Jazz, or excuse me, 14th, the draft Giannis. 21, the Jazz draft Rudy Gobert, and we move forward for the rest of our lives with Giannis and Rudy Gobert, and no one can ever score on us. Have a great weekend. Happy Memorial Day. Be safe. Talk to you soon. Right now, tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Podcast Locked On NBA.